Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Delahousi. She is the Chief Privacy Officer of Ciox. Elizabeth, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dr. Nick. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to, to be on this podcast. So uh, as we do always, I, I think it's important to get context, a um, little bit of your background, how you arrived at uh, a chief privacy officer um, and, you know, what your story is. So tell us a little bit about how you got here. So I've been in with Ciox for a little over 20 years you know, through different mergers and acquisitions, I actually ended up having the chief privacy role uh, assigned to me back in 2016. So I've been in it for almost seven years now. Um, you know, graduated from the University of Louisiana in health information management. Was very fortunate that immediately I got a job that I loved with with this company, and had the opportunity with so much growth as the company had expanded. So when this position had opened up, I was super excited that our CEO at that time saw the potential in me and actually had approached me about this role um, and felt like I would be a really good asset for the organization. So that's when I was like, I was ready to take it in 2016. So uh, for, for the benefit of people not familiar with, um, you, you know, uh, your, your qualification that bears some relevance to the discussion i think it's important to talk a little bit about that before we get into the details right so so i have a bachelor's in science just as part of my background um my degree is in health information management and health information management just to kind of date ourselves and anybody who's listening to this that has been in this field for a long time, we'll probably know it more like a medical records administrator. I'm um, glad you said that because I didn't want to use those terms and I'm thankful that you did because <laughs> that's true. That's what most of us... Are, that's what most people know us as, right? As medical <laughs> records administrator. Exactly. I think before that, we were like medical librarians. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, so medical records and, you know, it, it's health information management is the sort right. of newer version of the way that we describe that. But that's really the, it's the plumbing I always described it as in, in hospitals and in healthcare. It's the flow of information and the management of that. It is. It, I mean, it's your gate. I mean, we're your gatekeepers, right? We're the ones who make sure that as the information comes in, that it is complete. Um, and then as information goes out, it's compliant. You know, are we allowed to release that information, which is what Ciox does. So Ciox um, has several divisions. We have a release of information division and a lot of providers outsource with our organizations to actually have staff our staff at their sites to turn around and provide that service. And what we do is we educate that staff member, you know, obviously in the federal regulations, but specifically their state regulations, because there's 50 different state regulations that are out there around how information is supposed to be released out into uh, today's systems. And so we have to make sure that they're educated around that. And then um, 
all the requests go through our department. Yeah, I, I'm, we're not going to dive into all the different states and the fact that this is not one country, it's 50 or 51 of them with all those rules and regulations. Well, that would, that would across be like a seven the board. Um, but it's a lot of complexity and, <clears throat> you know, there's a bunch of challenges. But, you know, we've seen over the last several years a lot of changes and i think improvements and you know to give you a little bit of context personal context for me um you know i've been traveling i'm i'm an international uh, person i've lived in a lot of different countries and i took my medical records and i actually have paper and physical versions and uh, you know short story but i had my x-rays from 1987 that i was able to take and by the way we were looking this up on a window because there's no light boxes anymore but i have all of that but that was actually quite difficult it was very difficult but we've improved against that and we've seen some improvements so just to give us some context in terms of where we're, we're at now um, tell us a little bit about the recent changes and, and how that started out. Well, you know, talking about just real quick with your medical records, it's funny you say that. So I was a primary caregiver for my mom prior to her passing away. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and instead of having the paper records, I had like multiple apps on my phone from all our different healthcare providers. And it was so frustrating, right, to turn around and go, okay. I'm at the primary care physician. I need to pull up her oncologist records. I have to go through my phone, try to find it. Here we go. Let's go into the app. And I think that was a lot of challenges that consumers of healthcare is having, right? Whether it be paper or electronic, it was just so siloed in each of your provider's locations. And so, you know, now what we're seeing with the 21st Century Cures Act is, okay, how do we make this so much easier where it's all in, I can go in, try to locate information, pull it out and put it into one central location for myself. And I think about that. I think where we're at today, if my mom was still alive, from my standpoint, would be so much easier because I could, you know, have some sort of, you know, app, Google Health, or whatever the case may be, and have everything imported into that app and just pull it up and say, look, here's where she's at with all of her different providers and what, you know, what treatment she's received, whether it be, like I said, from a GP, an oncologist, you know, even, you know, her ophthalmologist, all of those different, you know, services that she was, you know, seeking. And that's, I, that's where I see us now with that 21st Century Cures Act is, well, how can we make this so much easier for the patients? They need to have ownership of their health care. You know, they need to make sure that they know what's going on. And I think that 20, 30 years ago, I think a lot of times providers were like, they don't need to understand this. You know, I'm here to explain it to them, which I respect that because that is their specialty, right? They're, they are there. But at the same time, because there's so many specialties, that information still needs to flow with with much more ease than what we saw even five years ago. Um, you know, so there's a couple of points in there that are interesting. So first of all, what you're saying is that the technology didn't help you. Um, <laughs> as we <laughs> launched, oh, yes, another app, you know, pages and pages of them. Right. And then, um, it, it, you know, what you described, and I, I think it's interesting, you talked about ownership of healthcare and you know, the subtext to that uh, for me has been the ownership of the medical record. And I, I don't think it's quite as controversial now, but it certainly was in the early days was 
It's my medical record. Let's be clear. It's about me. Um, you know, nothing, no healthcare uh, for me without me uh, involved in that. And I need to have the information. You clearly had some challenges in your world sort of bringing that together because it was all separate. And now we have the 21st Century Cures Act. So I think it's important to understand the history to that and, and a little bit of the timing, if you could share the, the specifics of when that came about and what the sort of um, uh, various markers were in the timeline. Yeah. So I think that let's start with a different entity, federal government entity first, right? Because, you know, this is something that the uh, ease of flow of information has obviously been HHS's goal. And one of their division, which is the Office of Civil Rights, dove into that with high tech. And they talk about in high tech patient right of access. And again, with that one, they didn't dive necessarily with the technology piece of it. And the ownership was mainly put onto the provider on that under those rules as to you, Dr. Nick, as a patient, you have obviously a right to access your information. You have a right to direct it to a third party. You, know, you also have a right to ask for it in the form and format in which you feel is ease of use, you know, whether it be paper or electronic. And, you know, that came out back in the early 2000s. And then on top of that, you know, you know, providers, needless to say, you know, trying to roll this all out, there were complaints after it was issued that were coming into OCR. And so, you know, OCR starts issuing guidance. You know, look, this is how, this is what we're recommending. This is what you need to do. The big piece of guidance that came out from the Office of Civil Rights was actually in 2016. So you got a time period of almost 10 years of when high tech comes out and then, hey, we're putting our foot down. You guys have to follow these particular regs. And then they go into that guidance piece of it. And even then in 2016, with that guidance coming out, you really didn't see the Office of Civil Rights come in with any type of civil monetary penalty until 2019. So three years later. In the meantime, then you've got the 21st Century Cures Act that's come out. So now they're focused in on the technology piece of it. And I think what's interesting with the 21st Century Cures Act is that they did not put the ownership solely on the provider, which, in my personal opinion, was smart because your technology has a lot of ownership in this. And there's only so much a provider can control when it comes to those technology pieces. And so that's when they started talking about we need to get everybody in the sandbox. We need to get health information exchange, health information technology, obviously with the, you know, providers, and they, they named them all as actors. And, not, you know, and basically, this is what you guys need to do to ensure that these patients now have access to their electronic PHI. So, the, you know, again, they don't focus in on the paper piece of it. They see that, you know, we are all moving towards those electronic worlds you know, trying to get away from that paper documentation. Now, I'll be honest with you, Dr. Nick, paper is still out there, you know, and as frustrating as it is for everybody, I don't know if we'll ever get rid of all that paper. 
But in the meantime, we do see more and more technology being adopted by the healthcare ecosystem. And now what do we need to do to make sure that these patients now have access through that in that electronic means, i.e. the patient portals, you know, or some sort of, um, you know, app, API technology. Again, kind of the scenario I talked about a second ago where, you know, I had all these different apps for, you know, for my mom. Was there a way where I could have downloaded it into one particular app and maintained it in just that one sole source of, you know, as the source of truth? So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today I'm talking to Elizabeth Delahousie. She's the chief privacy officer for Psyox. We were just stepping back in time. And I, I think if I summarize that, what you said was the government took forever to get any of this done and took forever to actually put some teeth into the regulations. And, uh, you know, I'll give it a little bit of context. I actually, and I'm pretty sure it's 2015 because I carried this memo from OCR um, uh, uh, forever that I physically handed when there was issues of, no, we can't, we're not willing to, um, you, you know, all, all of this. And they actually issued guidance that I carried around and I still have and occasionally use. So I, I think, you know, for me, um, there was improvements. It took an awful long time um, to, to actually enable that. And, and you introduced something else that I think is worth just exploring a little because I hadn't heard this and I'm, I'm curious about it. You use the term actors. Is that actually the definition that's in the uh, Cures Act? That's it. That is the definition in the Cures Act. Am I the only one that's sitting here and going, okay, so who's the Terminator in this and who's Tom Hanks? Just saying. (laughs) It does take you a minute to kind of think about it. When you first read it, you were like, you know, when I first read it, I kind of had that same view. I was like, I don't understand what an actor means. Right. Yeah, but But they do go out there and define it. Right. And, and you know, to be clear, actors in this instance are everybody that actually contributes to the capture and storing of this information. Right. That so, is uh, uh, you know, clarifying what's happened in the past, there was certainly, you know, good intentions, but we didn't get everything that we needed for sure. So I think it's important to understand the 21st Century Cures Act. If you could help us understand the timeline and, you know, the various stamps of where we've gotten to that. Yeah. So, okay. so the rule got published actually in May of 2020. And so you had until May of 2020 to April of 2021 to prepare for it. And then at that point in April of 2021, they said, listen, now you need to make available to patients what they call a limited USCDI set, which is basically like your basic data, right? Some of your labs, yeah, probably some clinical notes, you know, if there was an operative report, discharge summary, HMP. So they gave, you know, almost a, a year for providers to be prepared for that. And of course, again, for all of the technology out there to be prepped for it. And then they said, now, once you've got that open, because we just had a recently had a date open up of October 6th of 2022. And that is 
you're supposed to have now all EPHI available to patients. So you had some, you know, three major timelines here. One is when it got published, gave you time to prepare for it, read it, digest it, understand it. Then, you know, again, the USCDI piece got opened up. And then the big piece was this past October where all EPHI needs to now be available to patients. So I, I'm going to make sure that um, everybody understands because I didn't. Um, e is literally PHI, so it's electronic uh, personal health information, and you know that's the important. The importance of that is, you know, as I'm looking to my left at my box, physical box of medical records, it's actually digitally enabled and you know delivered in a way that people can process with you know tags and so forth, um, and that's now. So they, they had a period of time where, hey, you, you, you've got to get your house in order. Now it's enacted, but as you shared with the High Tech Act, okay, so you've got to do it. But unless there's teeth to it, that's not necessarily going to be a top priority uh, or even something that you know individual organizations want to do because there are some economic barriers to this people didn't want to share information because it helped them ring fence and keep patients in in their um system where are we with the uh, penalties so there haven't been any definitive guidance issued around the penalties yet you know you we see in the regulations obviously a penalty can be issued up to a million dollars but and we know complaints have come in um, but no guidance has been additionally issued around this and no penalties have issued. So if you kind of go back to, again, just looking at other you know, federal entities like the Office of Civil Rights, you know, you look at when high tech got published and then that guidance that got published in 2016, the first CMP was not issued until December of 2019. So it could be a few years before an actual penalty gets issued to a provider. Now, I would also say that if it does, if we base it again on what we're seeing from the Office of Civil Rights and the civil monetary penalties that they're issuing out, it's not necessarily the large healthcare systems that they're issuing penalties against, it's the small providers. And I think that that's where some of the challenges are probably at is that these smaller providers who are standalones may not have the subject matter expertise available for them to know what they're supposed to do. They may not have the financial means to understand what they're supposed to do. Or, you know, simply like you said, maybe they're like, I want to keep my patients here and I just don't want to do it. Um, so I don't know if it'll end up being a situation where it's the small providers again, that end up having those penalties issued against them. Yeah, so I, I've got to feel bad for them because I think in, in most cases, they're the ones that are probably trying as hard as they can but they don't have the resources it's it's as you described at the beginning it's a very complicated area um and you know loading on penalties not helpful um i'm just going to call out to the government and say hey if you want to issue guidance just take your 2015 memo just update high tech to say cures act and i think we're good um well, I, I, job done. You know, we can speed up things. <laughs> I'm simplifying a little, I know. <laughs> um, but it, it, I, one of the things I want to be sure, you, you're, you, you keep saying providers, but I want to substitute actors because it's not just the offices, right? So there's yep. some opportunity to say, 
you know, many of these folks use systems. So it's if the actors are not delivering. So is that true? That's that's true. And it's a good call out. And I think that a couple of things you got to think about with all of this is, you know, let's let's look at just basic hospital systems. Right. So let's first talk about you may have a hospital that's part of a merger or an acquisition. So now they become, you know, hospital A and hospital B added together become hospital C. Well, they may use two totally different systems. Mm -hmm. So how are those two systems going to talk to each other? You know, what is the actor who's developing that technology? What are they going to do to ensure that there is a communication flow between those two systems? Or they could actually be using the same system, but they're on two different versions. Oh, yes. Yep. And yes, right. And you know how challenging that can be. Is on. I, I'm. I'm not going to call out, but uh, if you have an EMR, um, you've got one EMR and the, the version issue. So, yeah. uh, major challenge. Lots of you know technical issues. As you think about this going forward. Um, you know, one of the points that I always like to make is maybe people can get ahead of this. So instead of saying, you know, what's my minimal compliance, what's my maximal compliance and how can I be the good citizen? How can I be Tom Hanks in this? And everybody loves me because I'm really trying hard because I think it's important for, you know, better healthcare. The more informed we are, the better we are. So how do we go about that? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in the healthcare ecosystem is not just because we're talking about EMR systems, like the the big EMR systems that we know out there. I mean, honestly, Dr. Nick, there's so many different software systems. I think that's the one thing that consumers are not aware of. You know, you have a system for your fetal heart monitor strips. You have a system for your, your radiology report. You have a system for your mammogram system. You have a system for your radiation oncology. These are all incremental. They're not part of the big EMR system. So to get it together is, you know, how do you get this freeway connected with a major interstate as opposed to just these back roads that are going on right now. And that's that's what the uh, providers are having challenges with, is getting all of these systems connected. And you can imagine, I and of course, now this is an assumption on my part, I am sure that there is probably a cost for every time you have some sort of, you know, walkway across and how expensive that can be, you know, when you've got, 15 different ancillary systems and you're trying to get all this information fed in. And, and I have seen it where as basic and elementary as it is, where providers are literally tracking their PHI within the organization on an Excel spreadsheet, because that's how they're trying to track all of the locations of information that are coming into their systems. I'm just going to say Excel's better than a piece of paper or a post-it sticker. Well, but that's okay. true. It, it can end up in your big box over there next to you. That's right. Okay, so um, major challenges, uh, you know, developing that um, uh, interstate information highway, I think, is is the key. We're, you know, all bets are off at this point. You know, you should be. We just don't know what the consequences are. We do know that there's a million dollar, I want to say cap, but um, maybe it's not because it could be per 
individual instance. So my record's a million, you know, so that could be a lot more. Um, where do we go from here? Um, I think the conversations need to keep going, right? And I, and again, I think the fact that we have technology now involved as being categorized as an actor, I think that was the biggest piece that I'm, I'm actually excited about because they need to be sitting at the table along with their competitors to talk about how do we start integrating this technology more and more and making, like you said, more accessible to these patients so they can have access to it. So I, I think, um, you know, as I think about the technology piece, it, 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 for me, it always feels like it should be solvable. This is not a, a, a problem that can't be fixed. Um, you know, it, it may boil down to money or cost ultimately. But, you know, if it's an older system, perhaps it's time for that older system to, to go off to the burial site that, uh, you know, these old systems do, DOS, Windows 95, although I hear that Windows 95 still persists. In some or Windows system. XP, you know. Windows XP, uh, Windows NT. So, oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> um, we're clearly dating ourselves. So I think, you know, some real potential to bring this all together, uh, some opportunity. I think good news for patients, good news for physicians and systems, and I think also for the technology uh, sector that is now included as part of that solution set as the actor. So, you know, I, my call out, my incremental step for those folks is for the technology sector to not be the the terminator, but to be the, the Wally in all of this and bring their character and, um, you know, commitment to actually delivering it. Unfortunately, as we do each and every week, uh, I've run out of time. So it just remains for me uh, to thank you for joining me on the show. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. Evolution.